0: You are listening to WCB Newsline.
1: Good evening, everybody. I'm just so pleased that all of you could be here for this Puppy Razor podcast. I wanted to invite the Seattle Puppy Raisers to do this podcast just because I'm so grateful to all of you for coming to do the uh, volunteers at the convention that we had last October. It was just wonderful meeting everybody. And I had so many people at the convention come up to me and tell me how wonderful it was to have puppy raisers as part of the volunteers. And I heard from the volunteers that they really enjoyed seeing some of the people there that had guide dogs from Guide Dogs for the Blind. So I really appreciate each of you being here tonight. And I'm going to turn it over to Marie Celeste, who was very instrumental in helping me side by side throughout that whole convention and getting volunteers organized. It was the first time I'd ever done anything like that and Marie was a pro. I don't know if she ever did anything like that or not either, but she was a pro. But mostly I wanted to just say that it was so wonderful when we had a little preview Zoom with all of you. I learned so much from just talking to you prior to this podcast. And I really do appreciate each one of you. And I loved the stories that you Told me, and some of the experiences that you have had with your puppies. And I want to be able to share that. Marie Celeste Condon, I will pass it over to you.
0: Thank you, Linda. I want to say that the partnership you and I have developed is really wonderful. It means a lot to me, and and I enjoy it. I really appreciated how uh, Washington Council of the Blind and puppy raisers and volunteers from organizations in the community came together to provide sighted guides at the convention, but also how much people who served as sighted guides got to learn about the lives the puppies they raise have after they are paired with a partner. how much people came to enjoy one another. There was a lot of sharing humor and stories at that convention, and um, everyone I talked to said what a rich experience it was. So thank you so much for conceiving of the idea of a podcast with poppy raisers for your audience. I would like to invite you, Carol, Brian, Howard, and Karen, to introduce yourselves and maybe to, along with your introducing yourselves, to maybe share a fun story about a puppy um, you've raised. Who would like to go first?
2: We can go first. Hi, we're Brian and Carol Gregory. We're in Seattle, and uh, we've been raising guide dogs for the blind for about four years now, so we're relatively newcomers. One highlight was taking Vivi this past fall down to San Francisco look, Carol, tell us tell about the experience. It was quite a day.
3: Yes. Yeah, so what brought us to San Francisco was the Guide Dogs for the Blind 80th anniversary gala. And it was also the, I think the first gala in many years since COVID hit. So there's a lot of excitement about it. Here in Seattle, we arranged to get about five of our uh dogs in training down with razors and sitters to attend the event. So of course we had to take a flight and we had a one-year-old yellow lab named Vivi, uh, who was quite a charmer. She charmed the entire flight crew and received her Alaska Airlines wings before we left the plane. And so we now have that on a little French beret that she wears on occasion. We went down to San Francisco. We rode the light rail. We took a cable car up Knob Hill to our hotel. We walked the city streets, visiting churches, cafes. And I intentionally wanted her to experience the high-end shop, Bottega Veneta, (laughs) uh, which seemed perfectly fit to uh, explore. But at the gala, we all were quite well-dressed. We had Vivian a green French beret, and a strand of doggy pearls. She was all set for the Grand (laughs) Affair. There were other working dogs at the gala, as well as the five other dogs from our Seattle group. Uh, it was held at the Ritz-Carlton. So this was not just a simple little party. It was quite a grand affair. And we all were able to meet in person Chris Benninger, the CEO of Guide Dogs for the Blind. So that was a very special event. We also arranged a tour of the campus of Guide Dogs for the Blind in San Rafael. All the puppy raisers from Seattle, took the tour, and we ended the tour at the Puppy Learning Center, which is fairly new. You can actually go to the center in San Rafael and watch all the little baby puppies playing and with their educational toys and their awkwardness. So it allowed us to sit up outside the facility, watch through a window with our dogs in tow and really vision what it was like for the beginning of our puppies' lives that we were working with. So I'd say that was one of the highlights, really, of our work with Guide Dogs for the Blind. Uh, I will say, though, the simple fact of walking down the street and catching constant smiles from complete strangers is something that changes your day. And it it changes the world around us, and it slows things down and allows us to appreciate, you know, this the, the cuteness of a puppy, but also the intelligence and the work behind it and the the Appreciation we feel in the communities is felt on a daily basis.
0: Carolyn, Brian, thank you so much. You just really are leading us into chatting about the experiences that puppy raisers have with the dogs and the kinds of experiences that puppy raisers try to give the dogs. And Howard and Carol, I'd like to invite you now to introduce yourselves and to share a story about a fun, fun times you've had raising puppies.
4: Okay, this is Howard. It all started at the Issaquah Fair. Issaquah is a little town not far from Seattle, and they had a fair with different booths and some community events. And one of the community organizers was Guide Dogs for the Blind, the Issaquah chapter. And that's where we saw the first puppies and said, wow, this would be a great thing to do. And we got started. And that was nearly 20 years ago.
0: Howard, how many puppies have you and Robin raised in those 20 years? Well,
4: we've we've switched from the Issaquah Club to the Seattle Club and combining both clubs, I think about 19 puppies.
0: Wow, yeah. that is awesomeness.
4: Yeah, we've uh-huh. loved each and every one of them.
0: Oh, I bet. I mm-hmm. bet. That's a, about a puppy a year.
4: About a puppy a year. Puppies usually go for a year, year and a half before they're recalled. But we'll get into that later, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much, Howard.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How about you, Karen? What's a, um, a fun story about a puppy or, um, or you might like to share, like Howard did, a story of how you got interested in raising puppies to become guide dogs for the blind.
5: Yeah, hello. In the back of my mind, I'd always wanted to raise a guide dog and I was thinking maybe someday, but my dad was always uh, volunteering in a lot of areas, always trying to help people who didn't have that advantage of knowing somebody in the industry or helping get him a job. And so he always tried to help we didn't have something. And so when my dad passed away, I thought raising a puppy would be a nice way to continue his legacy because that puppy would be out there guiding them for another eight years or so. And so that's how come I I just looked up Guide Dogs for the Blind website and sent them an email and they sent me the uh, leader of our our group. And uh, my husband and I have been involved now for uh, over 10 years. We were puppy sitters quite a bit early on for the first eight years. And then we're, uh, we're raising our one and a half puppies. So we started out with a transfer puppy who was older, mm-hmm. and now we have our first baby puppy from eight weeks, who will be ready to go back to campus in a couple of months. And every morning, Wyatt gets rubbed down. I sit on the floor, and he comes between <laughs> my legs, and I start with my shoulder with his shoulders, and I rub his shoulders down each side of his spine, down to his haunches, and massage his back legs, and he ends up putting his back legs up on my lap so he can sit in for a big hug. But he like loves having a morning puppy massage.
4: Lucky him.
0: <laughs> oh, Karen, that is really lovely. So for you, it's carrying on a legacy, which is a really beautiful way to honor your dad. And it gives all of our listeners an idea of like a uh, puppy's day and, um, in the home of a puppy raiser. Yeah, what a beautiful way to start off the day. Who was that? Who said, "Lucky him"? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Howard. <laughs> Howard, yeah. Lucky. I think him. it was Wyatt. Yeah, I think it was Wyatt. I like that that was every, that morning too. <laughs> that was Wyatt's voice. <laughs> so, thank you, Karen. Oh, uh, my my puppy has found his bone and is sitting at uh, my feet trying to. Um, keep himself entertained so that's what you're hearing in the background right now let's see if i can
3: i think it was augie drinking water
0: <laughs> oh was it no it's it's taquito trying to keep himself occupied while he listens to uh. all his voices uh, talking about puppies and he sure like all of our dogs he knows that word puppy mm. and um dogs and so i wonder what is it that once you made the decision to join a group and to um, become a puppy raiser, um, what is it that you did to prepare to be a raiser? Did you go through some special training? If so, how long and how much training is required to be a puppy raiser?
5: Yeah, this is Karen again. So I had to refresh on because it's been so long since I was a a new raiser, but um, raisers and... Puppy sitters both have the same basic training. So a puppy sitter is someone who watches the dogs when the raising family goes on vacation, goes to an event they might not want to take the dog to, like skiing. And so they have to be as up to speed as the raisers in terms of the commands and how to train the puppies. So after attending at least three meetings, a volunteer can request an application to become a puppy raiser or puppy sitter. And people must be 16 years old or older However, they can be younger, as young as nine, as long as they have a parent or a mentor, such as a club leader who will help them train. Then there's a home visit by the one of the guide dogs for the blind leaders or their representative. They come, they look at your house, they make sure you don't have any sharp steel art in your front yard or backyard that the puppy might get hurt on and they just check things out to make sure it's safe for the dog and that you have a a hard flat non-grass relieving area and uh, just go over things with you in terms of what needs to be in the house a kennel dog bed things like that and you have to complete the puppy 101 class which is five classes it has numerous pages of instructions probably dozens and dozens for the puppy raising manual puppy raising manuals probably hundreds of pages And there's also videos. Videos are a great way to learn uh, technique where it's a little quieter setting than our club meetings. So after Puppy 101, you can be qualified to be a puppy sitter. At the completion of Puppy 102, which is eight more classes, again, numerous pages out of the puppy raising manual and videos, that, that will then get you in the qualification, become a raiser. You have to attend a minimum of eight club meetings You have to complete a minimum of five days of puppy sitting for other in-training pups in your club or other clubs and generally you'll have about three months of training before you get your first puppy as a raiser and so then you also have to demonstrate a skill level with one of the in training puppies in terms of your handling skills the use of commands and cues proper training techniques and really important too is to use the guide dogs approved training method One of our trainers once uh, said, you know, this isn't your dog. This is guide dogs for the blind dog. And you might think your dog should get bacon or get to sleep with you at night in bed. But those aren't guide dogs rules. So you have to make sure you know how guide dogs wants to raise the puppies. And they strive to use all positive reinforcement for the puppies.
0: Thank you so much, Karen. That was really rich One thing that you mentioned that was interesting was having a place where a puppy can learn to relieve itself on command on a hard surface. So how is it that you teach puppies to relieve on command and on how hard surfaces? How do puppies learn how to travel? Uh, There are so many skills that puppies learn in the course of becoming socialized.
3: Yeah, this is Carol. I'll answer that. I I think it, it's one of the very first things you start working on because as a baby puppy, they're going to relieve and you want to reduce the accidents as to as few as possible. Um, each puppy is unique. One puppy might be at eight weeks only needing to go out once an hour. Another one may need to start at 30 minutes. So you start very early on, making sure you get them on a relieving schedule. Uh, You take them outside. They're not taught to relieve on grass, so they don't know that that's what most dogs do. We just give them the opportunity on hard surfaces or gravel. And as they grow up, we give them more time to hold their bladder. There are accidents along the way, uh, but at the time when there's more control and the puppy's a bit older, They may be able to travel. This is not something that happens frequently in the club, but for the 80th anniversary gala, we had the opportunity to take the puppies on on a trip down to San Francisco. So relieving was a very important thing to get that dog fully relieved before you take them through the checkpoints and put them on a plane. You know, they have relieving stations at the airport, but these dogs aren't used to being in off-leash parks or in other highly frequented areas by other puppies. So they can get a bit distracted with all the smells. So I found when we traveled, it was better to take them into the garage in a court back corner and let them relieve there. Because the relieving relieving stations were just too interesting for them. Speaking of travel, getting them through the check-in process, there's a paperwork that you have to bring along Shots approval from guide dogs for the blind. Uh, Some airlines are better than others at uh, supporting our training uh, efforts, Uh, getting them checked in takes a little more time. Uh, We also can't allow the dogs off leash. So when you take them through checkpoint or TSA, when you go through that detection machine, they want you to take the dog's collar off. Well, we can't do that. We can't let the dogs off collar or off leash. So we have to work with the agents and call the supervisors often to make sure the puppies are handled carefully through the detection. And then they get a pat down often, just like we as humans do. You now, once they get on the plane, there's usually notes from the check-in station to the flight crew. So it's making sure those communications are coming through clear. The dogs need to curl up neatly in a ball under your feet and be out of the way. One thing I often wondered about if I'm on an airplane, what if the person next to me has dog allergies? Then what do we do? So you have to be prepared. It's, uh, when you travel with a guide dog, either one in training or a working guide dog, it's necessary to prepare for extra time and patience and kindness because you're sure to find that each trip is going to be different.
0: Carol and, and Karen, when you're talking, I was thinking about um, the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child, I'm thinking about how it takes a village to raise a puppy to become a guide dog. I remember when the first meeting that I came to, Howard, you were the first person that I met at my first meeting, and you had a little puppy who was still pretty young then I think definitely not three months old yet a little black lab and I remember how welcome I felt and how from the very beginning I came to understand what our club saying or motto um, means the meaning of our club's motto and that is come for the puppies but stay for the people I really appreciate how much mutual support there is among puppy raisers. And I appreciate our leadership so much. Yeah, these puppies are really held in mind and in heart by so many people during those months that we have them before they go off to college to get their formal training as guide dogs. Does anybody want have anything that they want to add to what Carol and Karen have said about teaching puppies, um, raising puppies?
4: Well, this is Howard. I think that overall, we want to have the puppies have a good experience. And every puppy is different, like every human being is different. And so some come with fears or sensations that other puppies don't have. And so you kind of work with the individual puppy. It's a very individual type of affair. Whoever you get at eight, ten weeks and keep for however long you keep them. It's a very wonderful affair on both ends of the, I want to stay stick, but then I'll get a bark somewhere. <laughs> um, Oh, yeah. You know, they give as much to us as we give to them. And Guide Dogs is a wonderful organization for allowing this to happen in such a congenial way. Every dog we've had is is left here better situated for whatever life experience they're going to go on and have. And I think that's the important thing to remember.
2: You know, it's interesting. Uh, we when we were in uh, San Francisco for the gala last fall, we had an opportunity. I, I think Carol already mentioned to go to the uh, the uh, the new GDB Puppy Learning Center, and somebody called it awesome, and I would agree with that. It is pretty awesome. We got to stand outside and and talk to uh, some of the, um, for lack of a better description, I don't uh, trainers who with, was monitoring. I'm going to say maybe up to 10, maybe a dozen, seven, eight week old puppies. They were just about ready to, to go to their razors homes, but they're all in this open area. It's concrete. They're playing, they're peeing. They had just, you know, tons of toys and getting a lot of really fun socialization. I think at the center, they, they do really do a nice job. And I was amazed the first time we got the, our first puppy, he already knew his name He knew how to sit. They do teach him some very basic things that we continue as razors once we get them. But it's just, it was such a fun, we all all agreed that that would just be a great job to have, to monitor (laughs) little six, seven-week-old, eight-week-old puppies Hmm. before they're uh, released to razors. It was really quite a sight.
0: So, Brian and Howard, how do the puppies get from that uh, puppy raising center to puppy raisers' homes.
2: Howard, do you want me to take that? Yeah, go ahead. So there's two, uh, our first dog came, and it was right at the beginning of the pandemic, so he got an airplane ride right away. He and his brother were in a a large crate, and they flew him on Alaska Airlines from San Rafael, San Francisco, all the way uh, to Seattle. But usually they come on what's called the puppy truck. And the puppy truck drives from the campus in California up the West Coast, and they drop off. And I'm not sure how many crates they have on that puppy truck. I know there's at least, I'm going to say 10, where they, they might stop in Eugene, Oregon. They might stop in Portland. They might stop in, uh, in Longview. And then we met them in Tacoma. They come to uh, the Subaru dealership in uh, South Tacoma and uh, we all go down there and meet the puppy. The puppy comes with, all we know on the day the puppy comes is the letter of the litter. So our first one mm-hmm. was A for, and we had to guess, they play a little trivia game with us uh, to see if we can guess the name. So there's, let's say six in that litter. They're all starting with an A. And they have give you a couple of clues so you can guess what the name is. And most, well, I won't say most times, but a lot of times people do guess. And so ours was Asher. Asher his brother was Acre. And the other names now I forget. But you get the idea. And then we Cuddle them up and take them home. They they have a little uh, uh, goodie bag that they they bring with the puppy with some food and the leashes and the labels and and off we go. And so it's it's quite a, a fun ride home with a little eight to ten week old puppy in your lap.
0: It sounds like sweetness. That's my memory of <laughs> <laughs> bringing the uh, uh-huh. first puppy I raised home. It was just pure sweetness. Yeah howard i've often heard you talk about the importance of confidence would you speak some please to what puppies need to have instilled in them during the time that they are with us as puppy raisers
4: well there's all kinds of things and you know one of the things that comes to mind is surfaces that they walk on they um You take them out for a walk and and they can walk on cement, they can walk on gravel, they can walk on grass. But what about a graded situation? How do they do with manhole covers? And some dogs, even dogs that become guides have to be re-educated about surfaces. So to have the confidence that, oh, I I can walk over that Um, or I can walk by a couple of other dogs that may or may not be on leash, or I can walk by a, a backfiring car and not be upset. Those are the kind of, of confidence builders that you you do with a, with a puppy before they get old enough to have to overreact to those bad experiences.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you. It sounds like it's the goal is to raise each puppy to become the best dog that it can be.
4: Absolutely.
0: Thank you. Does somebody (laughs) have something? There is somebody who wanted to add something to that. Thank you. Who was that?
3: That that was Asher, and that's what we call demand barking. And uh, that's a no-no for a guide dog. But of course, Asher is career change. So he's letting me know he's still here.
0: (laughs) Yes and that he too is feels a member of this panel yes right. he feels part of this podcast absolutely so then I'm thinking about the experience of puppy raisers that puppy raisers have being part of a group with a shared mission and I'm also thinking about how many months puppies can spend living with their razor and being cared for by by different sitters so that they learn how to be not just in one type of home, but in a variety of homes with a variety of different people. So I'm thinking about the feelings that puppy raisers and sitters might have when it comes time to send that puppy um, back to campus for formal training. What is it like, some people talk about it, having to give up the puppy?
4: I think that it's about 14 to 16 months that puppy raisers generally have a dog before they go back to campus. that, That varies according to how many dogs they have on campus, what their availability is, how many trainers they have, so on and so forth. But to actually have a puppy in your house, in your home for that length of time, you're going to grow attached. But it's always that sense in mind, that knowledge that they're gonna go back to guide dogs for formal training. And hopefully they're going to have a career of sorts, which isn't gonna allow them to come back to you as a pet or anything else, they're gonna have a life. It's not unlike having a child. At some point you gotta let go. And you you have to know that you did the best you could do to put them in that situation. So it's, I think for, for Robin and I, it's always been a sense of joy that they're going on to their adulthood, their dogdom years. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it's that difficult a situation. And if they don't become a guide dog for the blind, maybe they get another career like uh, working with people that have autism or people that, that don't have any hearing or people that need therapy dogs because of their experiences in life it's such a worthwhile situation to know that they're going to have a purpose
2: so i i just want to say i i get that question all the time how can you possibly give up that cute little puppy when it's time to give him back and so my stock answer is number one i keep reminding myself he's not my dog He's owned by the Guide Dogs for the Blind. And number two, and maybe more important, if he succeeds, and I usually mention that about less than half of them do, but if he if he succeeds, he changes somebody's life. To listen to somebody who's visually impaired describe the, the change in their life, the freedom that these dogs give them uh, when they're acting as a guide is just heartwarming it It's just uh it's really something about how uh their lives are changed and and the freedom they enjoy when they get one of these guide dogs.
0: Thank you, Brian. You're really speaking to what's at the heart of our mission, yeah, what we find so gratified about um doing this. I'll put it in quotes this work, yeah, so puppies go go off to training and uh, and about half of them will become guides for the blind. Howard, as you were explaining, um, others will go on to other careers. I know for the people who come to live on campus, who get to be matched with a guide puppy, that they have an orientation and a period of, of becoming a team, a working team together, developing a partnership, and they have a graduation. Have any of you attended a graduation? And if you have, what was that experience like for you?
3: Well, this is Carol. I had uh, my first graduation down in San Rafael not long ago, and uh, it was a tearjerker. What was interesting is the, so there were four individuals receiving puppies, and they stand up in front of the room, a filled room, with an audience listening to their story. Some of the the guide dog receivers, uh, they're on their third, fourth, fifth dog. Others, it's their very first. So you get to hear right from their own mouths what these dogs mean to them. And then they also typically have their puppy raiser join them in the graduation to talk about the puppy. So it's a very personal ceremony. I don't know the guidance that they're given to talk about the dogs and what what the ceremony is about, but I will say that going to one of the graduations you every story is different and it's great representation of an understanding of where these dogs go and how they fit into the lives of the people who receive them and and really how well guide dogs for the blind matches the dogs i learned that in when when an individual who's receiving a guide dog goes to campus for training alongside their new their new dog or their additional dog, they have more than one guide dog graduate in the program for them. So they have, if they have four people, they might have six to eight dogs and they really seek out the best matches. So some of the dogs will go through a number of kind of rounds to get well matched. And as puppy raisers, we're aware that guide dogs for the blind matches the dogs well when you go to graduation you really get to hear the details and those those individual stories that that give life to to what we we've been hearing about
0: thank you karen and Howard, I imagine you and Robin have been to, um, in the course of 20 years, have been to a graduation or two. Yeah, what's it like when you see that puppy you raised?
4: The graduations that we've been to have been on the Boring Campus in Oregon. That facility has the visually impaired person come in prior to receiving their puppy. They stay in a dormitory. They're given their puppy and the two of them, the puppy who's now a dog, gets matched with the person and they live together in the dormitory room for a period of time. During that period of time, they go through a training process on campus. We're called and let known that there's going to be a graduation. So when we go down to the graduation, they've already spent a month or more together. They walk down the hallway not hand in hand, but hand in harness, perhaps. And you see them coming down, and here's this puppy that you've raised that is now a dog, is now have a purpose in life with its partner, and they're just so attached to one another. The puppy or the dog now hardly remembers you from a distance, but then they kind of do. They kind of like look. Do a double take? Is that really the people that raised me? And Robin and I always enjoy that part the best. And then the audience part, when they they get to the stage, and on one section of the stage comes the person to get the dog, and then on the other section of the stage comes the raisers, us, and uh, we meet and shake hands and do greetings. And that's usually when... The puppy now dog now guide dog for the blind looks up and says, "Aren't you proud of me mm-hmm. that's a, that's a very moving moment it oh, yes. makes it all so well worthwhile
0: We
3: want that
4: experience, yeah,
0: yeah, all of us want that experience it's what it it's what it's all about it's a, um, it's
4: very very happy experience because it's um yeah it's it's so special you know and one of the aspects i'd like to interject now in case i don't get a chance later is the bond that those two have the visually impaired person and the dog is not unlike the bond that the razor or the puppy sitter has with the dog it's you love them they're, they're kind, considerate, and you want to be the same to them, and you develop a, a love affair. This happens, you know, no matter what happens with artificial intelligence or any other source of a, a, a talking cane, if you will, they will never satisfy that need for the love affair that happens between a dog and a human being. And Guide Dog supplies a great dog they do a great breeding program, and they do a great matching. I, I think what Carol said earlier was true, the the match of selecting a particular dog to a particular individual that's gonna use them and trust them for years to come is the best thing. It, it's really a, a match made in heaven, so to speak.
0: Thank you, Howard. Thank you so much. Karen, I think about conversations that you and I have had about what it's like to be part of a group that has a shared mission and vision, the type of vision that um, Howard and Brian and Carol were were, uh, describing. I know that you take great care, as do all of our raisers, in um, helping puppies learn skills and positioning and commands. I wonder, these puppies, just like people, have different temperaments, personalities, and maybe even learning styles. Could you speak some to how are all the puppies trained in the same way, or is there some variation in, in how puppies are raised? Yeah. Plus, what experience have you had with the public when you take dogs out and they get to meet the public?
5: So even though I have no children myself, I'm going to use the analogy that raising a puppy is like raising a child. So in terms of the education, right, you put your child in school and there's a base. Things that people learn, just like our puppies, all learn the same commands, but how you get there isn't always the same. You know, you strive to go through the standard training, but then if you have trouble, you might, you might ask someone like Howard, who's raised 19 dogs and say, Howard, my, my dog, you know, I just can't get him to sit without backing up a few steps. Could you help me? Could you show me some techniques that, you know, aren't necessarily in the puppy training manual, but, you know, after you've raised like Howard and his wife, 19 puppies, you have a lot of experience and, uh, people in our club, we have a lot of people who've raised dozen, over a dozen dogs. And so besides that basic training of the skills, if like you said, one dog's different or doesn't catch on quite as quickly, there's always a number of people you can ask. And we have our leaders. And if they don't have an idea, they'll contact guide dog our guide dog rep directly, or then they can come and the guide dog rep can contact the trainers. There's tons of ways to get your dog to bring them home to learn that command. So There's a a plethora of resources to help with. And then we have weekly meetings with our puppies. We have an outing outside of our club meeting where we go somewhere. Like last week, we went to the Asian Art Museum. We've been to the aquarium. We've been downtown. We've been on the white rail. It's to expose the puppy to as many circumstances and events as possible so that they won't be startled when something new comes up or they hear a sound. And so we also have all territory meetings that have all the clubs, not just ours. And we get to see other puppies and see how well our dog does with 50 other puppies around them. You know, we just practice commands over and over and it doesn't take that much time every day to run the puppies through the commands because Again, like a little kid, their attention span isn't two hours. You can't do two solid hours of training with the little guys. So, you know, you do 10, maybe 10 minutes at a time, a few times a day, take them out for a walk. And then every every adding you go on yourself is a chance to raise them. Every interaction they have with somebody at the store or church service or anywhere you go. And even before the puppy makes it to campus for what we call college, They've touched so many lives in a positive way. People stop and say, oh, your black lab, we just lost our lab six months ago. You know, and we'll offer that they can pet our puppy. And there's just, it brings so much joy. You can see people smiling at your puppy, even if they never interact with you, just to make their day to see this cute little puppy looking really sporty in their guide dogs for the blind jacket going around and people can't believe how well behaved the dogs are and to have a crowd of us together, how quiet they are, the fact that they don't bark or, or you know, run around like crazy like little baby puppies usually do.
4: Well said.
0: Well, you mentioned going to the store. You mentioned places where people are really taken aback and drawn to um, the puppies in their little green puppy and training uh, vests or jackets. Makes me think about how much the puppies can teach the general public about, yeah, the needs, the uh, lives, the experiences of um, of people that they eventually get to serve. Just I also think about how every member of the public all the, uh, that the puppy encounters helps in the raising of that puppy because of how many different people the puppy will meet over the course of time. Absolutely. Uh, Is there anything anyone wants to add to that?
3: Well, I think, you know, I'd be curious uh, from the group here, the most unique uh, experience the puppy was exposed to. And for me, it was probably taking Vivi to a Mariners playoff game that they won, (laughs) which was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and she was a little excited. I mean, it was very loud, and I think, I, honestly, I think it was too much, but she handled herself quite well. So I'm just curious about the other razors, what one experience stands out for them in terms of something unique they've done with the puppy in training.
4: Oh, go ahead, Brian. Well, for I was sure. just going to
2: say another another fun experience was when we first took Asher to the aquarium for the first time, he and a seal got very friendly, and uh, looking at each other through the glass, um, they both were um, very interested in each other. It was very cute.
5: <laughs> one of the loudest for us is we took one of the, uh, it was actually our leader's puppy, to the Fifth Avenue Theater. It's a musical theater. We sat pretty close up front, and it was super loud, and it was a golden retriever, and he just passed out and slept during the whole thing. <laughs> Good puppy. Mm-hmm. Probably. He, he made it as a
4: guide
0: <laughs> <laughs> definitely
4: <laughs> great I, I think the, the, the most valuable experience I had was our first dog whose name was Donnie uh, went to a man named Stephen who was visually impaired and Stephen had him for a while and we would visit each other quite often and Robin asked Stephen, so what's what's the best thing that Donnie does for you? And Stephen said, When people look at me when I used a cane, they they never said nice cane. But now they look at Donnie and they say, Oh, he's so cute. And Stephen actually called um, a couple nights ago called Robin and I and said, um, I was just thinking about Donnie, who's been long past. But he didn't say he he was thinking about us. He was thinking about Donnie because that's who he had the bond with. And to have a bond with another being that's that memorable is um, that you call years later and say, I was just thinking about Donnie. On the heels of what what Donnie meant to him, and his connection with other human beings. I think that was um, the most unique thing that's ever happened to us.
0: That's really beautiful, Howard. Donnie um, was a real connection between you and Stephen, um, and it was heartening to Stephen to get to talk with you and Robin, who also loved his beloved Donnie.
4: Yeah, and uh, and people in the public that would never have talked to. Stephen otherwise, connected mm-hmm. through Donnie. I think guides do that.
0: hmm. It's about so much more than um, navigating the world safely. Although that is a big deal.
4: That's a big, that's an amazing deal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. For many of us who are newcomers to puppy raising and puppy sitting, I know the pandemic struck about the time I felt like I was just getting started with Guide Dogs for the Blind. And Carol, I I think you have some thoughts about what it was like raising a puppy during pandemic times that impacts puppy sensibilities.
3: Yes, you know, uh, Brian and I were approved as puppy sitters and received our first guide dog puppy for raising right when the first strain of COVID hit, and everything was shutting down. And I can remember, I think it was Howard and Heidi in our group met us at Alaska Air Cargo and passed little eight-week-old Asher to us. And we had masks on. So when I first met, and I have a picture of Asher and me nose-to-nose in our (laughs) first
4: (laughs) Nose-to-mask. (laughs)
3: Yeah, nose to mask. I I had my mask on, and that's what he was exposed to. Um, We whisked him off to the island. We went into isolation. We'd take him out for walks and do the uh, little exercises we were taught to do. But we didn't go to grocery stores. We didn't really encounter people often. We kept our distance. And so for six months, Asher was... Being raised, he was among the first generation of COVID dogs and had little exposure. And, you know, he didn't go to a puppy sitter's house so he could learn to adapt. And Asher had trouble later on when he was getting ready to be recalled. He started something they call bulking, which he hadn't done for most of his life. And all of a sudden, out of the blue at 15 months, he's out right on a walk and he would just stop. And I sensed that it might have been related to smell, but I don't know what it was. And we couldn't work through that with him. And he eventually was career changed. And I often wonder because the because of COVID, his recall was later. It wasn't until 20 months. Normally he might have been recalled at 14 months. And at 14 months, he was to me seemed perfect. Yeah. He was a uh, doing everything so beautifully, but at 15 months, something changed. So I often wonder if he would have made it as a guide dog um, and the timing just wasn't right. And at 20 months, you know, we just couldn't break that bulking issue, but we did get, because Asher was very in, I guess, in tuned and I I believe had a very therapeutic spirit. We got him certified. He's now a therapy dog and he does work with the nurses at Harborview trauma center once a month we take him and he his favorite thing is to get have eight or ten nurses all on the floor <laughs> kind of fighting over him that's his favorite <laughs> <laughs> and he's good he's good at playing with them and wiggling his butt and moving around and nice. making them feel something warm and special in the middle of their their day which can be traumatic so uh, that was an experience, I, you know, I don't know what it was like for other puppy sitters who had had, like Howard, you've you've had a lot of puppies, so, so have you, Karen, and did you notice any differences during the pandemic with the isolation?
4: You brought up um, therapy dogs, and I think that Asher is a fine therapy example of that, very well suited to it, gives a lot of people joy, and then they can do their job better. I know that Marie, Celeste, you're raising a therapy, therapy dog potential. is he started yet? Taquito?
0: Yes, he has. And so Taquito is a puppy raised by our group and was career change for um, for. Mild um, and and somehow the the wheels of the universe turned, and um, he came to live with me. And he has been, he is such a blessing in my life. He's in the process of learning to become a medical alert and a service dog for me. So already the tasks that he um, has learned to do that um, help me navigate the world have more access to the world and be safer in the world have made such a difference in my life but he's also he's a multi-talented individual i think most of our puppies are yeah they're so well bred right they're they're multi-talented um so he's also a therapy dog um and um some some things that came out of the pandemic are the idea of doing telehealth and so um, i'm a counselor who sits with people who are working through some really um, adverse experiences they've had in life some are children some are adults who care for children and they've experienced some traumas and taquito always stays close to me and i i know that he's sensitive to the emotion in my voice and i remember one time when we were having a discussion in this Zoom space. It was about a tragedy. There had been um, a shooting at a school where a preschool was located and one of the children lost their lives. And you can just imagine the grief. The teachers knew that child, they knew the family. Can you imagine the grief that they were processing in that space? It was tremendous. And so here comes Taquito up under my right Arm my right armpit and sticks his little nose up into the zoom screen, and everybody got quiet. Um, the people in the space that day were were all, all were all people with sight, and Taquito just looked up in my eyes, and people said he's looking at you with so much love. And when they said that, looking at you with so much love, Taquito turned around and and from the from the point of view of the people in the little Zoom boxes on the screen, I think it looked to them as though he was looking in each one of their eyes. Mm. And he just looked at them with so much kindness and, um, and gentleness that um, people who had needed to release some feelings were able to do that. And he loves his work. And, um, and I love my life with him. He's, so-
3: he's a lovely dog.
0: He is a lovely dog. I know, Carol, that you and Brian and Asher had yeah. quite a role to play in his yeah. becoming the lovely individual that he is. And
3: We uh, got to uh, puppy sit him, and I introduced him to classical piano music. So that was our part of his life was I think he was about 10 weeks old
0: and carol i want to tell you that that his love of classical piano music continues so oh. i have pandora and when we need to settle i put on a classical piano music and he just settles down and there are some songs that i need to write down and ask you about because eyes perk his ears perk up and he looks around and i wonder if he thinks he's going to see you and ryan and asher at those moments
3: probably beethoven because that's what i was (laughs) oh that's good for me to
0: know thank you i'll play more beethoven but i also have a heart full of gratitude for uncle asher who really um taquito learn about what it can mean to be um a dog yeah 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 so, so so much sweetness we um, between the dogs and between the people. Um, I think
3: that you know that's another important role these career change dogs play. If they end up in the home of a puppy raiser, which oftentimes one will, they become a very important part of training for the next puppy that comes along, and they teach them things in a canine language that. You and I can't even, you know, relate to. And I've watched Asher and the puppies. And uh, I've heard from some raisers they think it's easier with a, an older dog that te- helps to to teach the puppy good behavior. Yeah. So that's another very important role for these career changed puppies.
0: Yeah. And so Howard, you were speaking some to the experience of staying in touch with people who've been lucky enough to get a puppy that you've raised. I wonder if anybody else has any other stories that they'd like to share about connections that you have with people who have the the dogs that you've raised.
4: I think not not only the dog, the puppies that we've raised, that we've met the partners to these puppies, which has been a great experience, but also the experiences of taking the puppies to outside events. Like we used to take our puppies to these east children's Easter egg, children that were visually impaired have an Easter egg hunt. And we would take our puppies to that event. So they're, they're ambassadors as well, not only potential guide dogs for the blind, but they're also ambassadors to the public in general about what guide dogs does. That's a very valuable thing.
0: Thank you, Howard. So I think we're coming to the end of the questions that we thought the people who listen to this podcast will be interested in hearing about. Does anybody have any words they'd like to say in closing? Any messages that you would like our listeners to hear?
2: I would just say very briefly that it's a very rewarding uh, experience to have these puppies in your home. And I think it was Howard that mentioned, you know, they, they do a lot for us and as well as we do for them. Um, they're constantly teaching us as we teach them. Uh, and every dog is different. But it is a very rewarding experience. And as I mentioned before, if they go on successfully to be a guide, they, they change, change somebody's life. And it's, it's very heartwarming.
1: This is Linda. I just wanted to say thank you again for being a part of this podcast. And I think my cheeks are aching from so much smiling as I listened to the stories that you told. And tears come to my eyes a little bit too with some of your stories. I just really, really think this has been a wonderful opportunity for those of us who may not have guide dogs or are may not have had the opportunity to know much about raising puppies and the lives of those little puppies and what happens. And it's been really rewarding to know that even if they don't become guide dogs, they have other very important positions in people's lives. So thank you again for being a part of this. I appreciate it you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you for inviting us, Linda. Thank you for having this vision. Thank you all. This podcast was made in association with Washington Council of the Blind's Newsline publication. You can contact us at the WCBnewsline at gmail.com.
5: And we'd like to extend a thank you to Kevin McLeod at Encomputech.com for his use of the song Life of Riley. Thank you so much for listening and tune in for our next episode
3: or check out previous episodes.